We're going to read uh, today's scripture, Exodus 15, 22 through 27 here. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what, which, that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. And let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for today. Um, thank you for bringing us all here safely, God, the freedom to, to worship you, God, to hear from your word, God, um, to be changed and transformed and challenged by it and encouraged by it, God. Um, just want to pray uh, for Matt this morning as he preaches, God, just give him wisdom, strength, God, and uh, just boldness to, to preach your word and open up all of our hearts, God, that we would, we would take it and, and just allow your Holy Spirit to, to change us and transform us by it. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Really good to see you. We are in um, Exodus chapter 15, and, and as we go through this sermon, I think you'll, you'll realize that this is, this is going to kind of feel like part two um, of a sermon that started last, last week, because there's a, a similar uh, theme here. And if you missed last week, uh, you can go back to our, our website and listen to it. Um, actually, you can watch it now because now it's on video. Um, uh, Josh Blazer is is taking video of the, the messages, editing them, uploading them, and which is pretty cool. I also feel a little weird about that because apparently the camera adds a hundred pounds. <laughs> so, I thought it was supposed to be only ten, but whatever. Um, uh, so this is going to feel like part two. Now. Um, I'm pretty sure that most people, most people don't like tests. Anyone here like tests? Anyone? One person. Okay, two people. Of course, one would be my wife. She likes tests. All right. Well, all the... Great. We have more weird people here than I thought we did, you know? So for the rest of us who are not weird, um, that's probably not good for me to call specific people out for being weird in a sermon. Uh, it's the cough medicine, all right? I think most people dread tests. And if someone imposes a test on it, especially if... Uh, we're not ready for it, um, we resent it, right? But we value tests too, don't we? I mean, we know that it's important to impose tests on people, right? People like, you know, the guy flying our plane, our doctor, our lawyer, our mechanic. I mean, we want to know that they've been tested and that they passed the test. 
Now, if you were paying attention to this passage, um, you'll see that this text is all about a test. Verse 25 says that God tested them. So what's a test? Well, a good test shows you and grows you. Okay? It shows you and grows you. Uh, think of a test in school. What is the purpose of those tests in school? Well, some teachers use tests to weed out some of their students. I'm pretty sure my teachers wanted to weed me out. But good teachers use tests to show you and grow you. They use it to show you where you are in your progress and encourage you to grow more, right? Now, when we look at the scriptures, we see that God is the ultimate good teacher. The Bible says that God tests our faith to show us where we are in our faith and to grow us in our faith. Now, I know that some of you are going through tests right now. It is possible that you're going through several tests right now. And on the surface, it's physical. On the surface, it's, it's mental. On the, on the surface, it's relational or emotional or financial. But here's what's important for us to understand. Underneath, there is always a spiritual component. There is always a spiritual component. Uh, dimension. Tests and temptations go hand in hand. Tests, these tests bring a sense of, of dread, right? And you know what? That's why they're effective. <laughs> That's exactly why they're effective. No one enjoys difficult tests when they're happening because so often they are so painful. But we can be encouraged in this, knowing that later on, as the author of Hebrews tells us, it produces a harvest of righteousness. It produces a harvest of peace to those who have been trained by it. Now, from this story, I believe that we learn three truths. Three truths that, that reinforce what we talked about last week. Three truths to, to remember when, when we are tested. So if you're taking notes using the sheet in the, in the bulletin, uh, the first one is this. When you are tested, remember where you are in the big picture. Remember where you are in the big picture. This is critical. Where is Israel here? You look at verse 22 and it says this, that Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness or desert. Now, the desert is always a dangerous place, especially then. Israel is in the wilderness. But the question is, where are they in the big picture? Now, here's the big picture. The wilderness is between the Red Sea and the Promised Land. They have crossed the Red Sea, and through the parting of the Red Sea, God has delivered them. Back on the other side of the Red Sea, Israel was trapped by, by the Egyptian army. They were in bondage. They were under the sentence of death. But once they crossed over the Red Sea, they were free. There was no more condemnation. There was no more slavery. They have been delivered once and for all time. And yet, they are still not yet in the promised land. 
God has promised to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey, an ancient phrase used to describe the richness of God's blessing. But they're not there yet. They're in between the Red Sea and the promised land. They're in the wilderness. And so what do you experience when you're in the wilderness? You experience two things. You experience Mara and Elam. Mara and Elam. See, they went three days without water. They are on the verge of death. And when they get to to Mara in the wilderness, they can't drink the water because it's bitter. Mara is a place of bitterness, a place of disappointment, a place of of unrealized expectations. And God said, listen, I am taking you to the land flowing with milk and honey. But now, the only water they have is undrinkable. In the wilderness, they experienced Mara, bitterness. But they also experienced Elam. And Elam is an oasis. I mean, there were palm trees and springs. It was a place of of rest and refreshment. It was an actual place. But it it also had a, a symbolic significance. Elam refers to a place of of lofty trees, and these places were often sacred sites. And here, there were 12 springs, and the number 12 is often symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were 70 palm trees, and in Exodus, it's mentioned several times that 70 Israelites had gone down into Egypt 430 years before. At the very least, Elam is a taste of the promised land and a guarantee that God's people will make it there. But later in chapter 16, verse 1, it says that the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and went back into the desert. Now, that must have been a sad day, right? Man, I mean, they experienced an oasis in the middle of of the desert, a time of refreshment, but they couldn't stay in Elam. You know why? Because they have not yet reached the promised land. They were still in the wilderness. So what do we learn from this? What we learn is that when you are tested, remember where you are in the big picture. Remember where you are in the big picture. We are in the wilderness. The New Testament, the New Testament uses the crossing of the the Red Sea as a picture of Christian conversion, of of Christian salvation. And then it uses the, the, the promised land as a picture of our ultimate destination, a new heavens and a and a new earth. And it uses the wilderness as a picture of the Christian life between those two great points of of history and it is critical that we know where we are in the big picture so that we're not caught off guard when we're tested so what can we expect in the wilderness that is our life what can we expect two things mara and elam mara is those is is those times and places of bitterness those times of frustration, those times of deep d- disappointments, those, those, those times of, of unrealized expectations. It's when the deep 
thirst of your soul goes unsatisfied. And it seems like the only water we have to drink is bitter. You thirst for, for beauty, but everything in our world is, is decaying. You thirst for loving relationships, but even in the best uh, marriages that we have here today will end with one of you standing alone at, at the graveside. You, you thirst for, for peace and for justice, but we live in a world of wars and corruption and children being slaughtered before they're even born. Why? Because we're in the wilderness. And there are places like Mara. But that's not all there is. In the wilderness, you also experience Elam. Elam is the, those times and places of, of sweetness. You know what I'm talking about. They're, they feel like sacred times, times of grace, times of, of refreshment, times of, of true rest. Elam is, is a taste of the promised land. And when we experience Elam, I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave. I want to stay there. And it feels like, oh, all right, we've arrived. We want to camp out for the rest of our lives there, but we can't. You know why? Because we haven't reached the promised land yet. We're still in the wilderness. It is extremely important for us to remember whether you're experiencing Mara or Elam. It is extremely important for us to remember where we are in the big picture. So let's apply this today. Where are you right now? Where are you this morning? Have you, have you crossed the Red Sea? Have you experienced that deliverance? Are you a Christian? Do you, do you know that you are free? Do you know that you are free from condemnation? Do you know that you are free from, from bondage to, to sin? Do you know that you are free from, from ultimate death? Do you know that you will enter the, the promised land? Do you know that the Father loves you? Do you know that the Father delights in you? If not, I urge you, I plead with you to rethink Christianity. Talk with a, with a Christian friend about what being a Christian means, what the cross of grace means. And hopefully, you'll have a better understanding by the time that we're done here this morning. So maybe you say, yes, actually, I do know that I have crossed over. If you've crossed over, if you know that you're a Christian, that you've put your faith in, in Jesus Christ, that, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that God is your loving Heavenly Father, then know, then know this. You are still in the wilderness. You're in a place of testing. And so, this morning, are you in a place, are, are, you, in, are you in Mara right now? Or Elam? If you're in Mara, remember that you have crossed over. You're no longer under condemnation. Therefore, therefore, God is not punishing you. Your sin has already been punished on the cross. God is not punishing you. He is testing you. Remember, remember, 
um, that you are headed to the promised land. It is a guarantee. And <laughs> what is absolutely critical for us to remember when we're going through these bitter, difficult times, what's so important for us to remember is this, that this time is not all there is. When you're going through that, that just challenging, difficult time, you feel like you're going to be crushed, remember, this is not all there is. It feels that way so often. Our life is ruined. We can't see that this is not all there is. So, how can this particular hope change your heart and therefore change the way that you live today, this week? How will it change uh, the way that you face the tests in life? On the other hand, if you're an Elam, if you're an Elam, and you're living a, uh, in a season of sweetness right now. Praise God for that. Thank God for that. But remember, you are still in the wilderness. You have not arrived yet. I mean, it's, it is so easy to think when you're in Elam, you know what? I could get used to this. In fact, I think I will get used to this. I mean, I've said that, and you have too. And then what happens? Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord moves you out of Elam and back into the desert, right? And we grumble, and we complain, and we're filled with bitterness. And when you're in Elam, enjoy it, but remember, you haven't arrived. You're still in the wilderness. So... When you're tested, remember where you are in the big picture. Second, if you're taking notes, remember God's purpose is your healing. He's not toying with you. He's not just messing with you for some weird cosmic delight because he can't. He's, his goal is to bring healing to you. Why, why is God testing Israel? It's to heal them. He says um, in verse 26, I am the Lord, your healer. But the question we need to ask then is what is he healing them of, right? The healing of the water is an object lesson. When the people get to Mara and find the water undrinkable, uh, verse 24 says, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we supposed to drink? You bring us to the water, it's undrinkable. Okay, this is, this is incredible. Three days before, they saw God part the Red Sea and deliver them from their enemies and wiped out their enemies so that they would no longer be a threat. It was firsthand irrefutable evidence of God's power, firsthand irrefutable evidence of God's love for them. And already they're grumbling in despair? After seeing all of that, what should they be saying? Well, we saw this last week. They, they should be saying, Lord, we, we just saw you separate the Red Sea to deliver us. No doubt you love us so much that you're going to provide water. We don't know how, but we know that you'll do it. 
Instead, they're acting as if God doesn't even exist. So what do the Israelites need to be healed of? Complaining? No. Is it despair? No. Those are just the symptoms. It goes much deeper than that. See, here's the thing. Between, uh, uh, beneath every test is the test. And what is the test beneath the test? The test beneath the test is this. Will you trust God? That's the test beneath the test. Will you trust him? Their hearts need to be healed of bitterness. Their hearts need to be healed, more specifically, the bitterness of unbelief. God tests them to heal them. And what do we learn? God's purpose in testing is to heal you, to heal your heart, to heal your soul, to to build your faith. He he wants to heal your heart of bitterness, the bitterness of of unbelief. And so often, so often, we we justify our, our bitterness. We hold on to it. I have a right to be bitter. And then, meanwhile, it just sucks the life right out of us. And we defend it and guard it, saying, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. I have a right to this bitterness that's sucking the life and joy out of me. We do that all the time. And so we say, like Job in the Old Testament, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And the author of Hebrews says, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness is so destructive. It doesn't just affect you, but the people around you. And that's why Paul tells us in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. Matt Nix had some helpful thoughts on on this. He was pointing out that unbelief often manifests itself in, in anger and resentment. And the hurt of failed expectations can, can manifest itself in the same way. You know, those are gracious red flags telling us that, that, that something's, something's wrong. Something's misaligned. It's, a di- it's, it's pointing to a diagnosis. So, so, so let me meddle a little bit this morning. Do you have bitterness in your heart? Do you have bitterness toward God for any reason that you're holding on to? Do you have bitterness toward a specific person or maybe several people and you're justifying it and you're holding on to it because you don't know what they did? If you really knew, you'd understand why I'm holding on to this bitterness that's sucking the life and joy out of me. I I get it. I have a right to be bitter. Who is it that comes to your mind? Listen, I I know that I have to ask myself the same question. Um, Over the last couple weeks, 
I've been wrestling with, with something. And when God helps me see it, I realize that, that my bitterness, personally, I think this applies uh, to everybody, my, my bitter, bitterness points to my unbelief. That in some way, I am not trusting God, and I am justifying my bitterness, and I hold on to it. But God wants to heal me from that. He wants to heal all of us from that. He wants to fill your heart and life with the sweetness of faith. One of, one of my favorite authors is Tim Keller, and and uh, my mentor was Pastor Dick Kaufman, and I want to learn as much as I can from them. And it turns out that they both had the same mentor. His name was Jack Miller, or C. John Miller. And everybody called him Jack. And he got diagnosed with cancer, a huge tumor in his, in his abdomen. And before he, he died, he said this. He said, I, I struggled spiritually. This, this is <laughs> my mentor's mentor. Dick, uh, Dick Kaufman's mentor, Tim Keller's mentor, and he says, I struggled spiritually. Fear and despair had driven out my joy, but at some point, it was as if the Lord said, Jack, isn't Jesus enough, or do you also need good health and an active ministry? I realized then that in all of our tests, God wants to grow us in trusting him and him alone. I, I know this is, is uh, Dick Hoffman's um, mentor because when I was going through a real difficult time back in, I don't know, I was about 10 years ago, he used the, he used the same line on me. <laughs> I was going through a difficult time. He said, what I'm hearing is, uh, thank you, Jesus, for this, that, and the other thing, and all the salvation and everything, but it's not quite enough. I also need this. And it was a gracious diagnosis of my heart and where I was putting my trust and where I should be putting my trust. See, this guy Jack came to know the only true source of peace. Now, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about why it's important to learn from God's tests. This is critical. I mean, there's several good reasons, but let me give you one. If we don't learn from the test, we will repeat it. Look at Israel. From the Red Sea to the Promised Land, on foot, at most, would take about three weeks. Yet Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because they didn't learn from their testing. God gave them test after test, chance after chance, makeup test after makeup test after makeup test. They would grumble about their tests, and God would say, all right, give me one more lap around the desert. And then they grumbled again, and God said, okay, take another lap. They'd grumble again and say, okay, I'll give you another chance to get it right. And then they grumbled again, and eventually God said, okay, you're going to die there. Forty years a whole generation died in the wilderness. Why? Because they didn't learn to trust in God's word. They didn't learn to trust in God's beautiful promises. They didn't learn to trust in God's, God's commands. So let's apply this. 
for those of you who are in, a, in Mara right now, how, how are you responding to that? I mean, you know what? There are more people than you realize who when they get into a hard place, they, they hear a voice in their head that says, the voice in their head says, there's no God. And at the same time it says, and look how he's treating you. There's no God. And look how he's treating you. They deny God's existence, and then they get mad at God that doesn't exist. Are you listening to that voice? Are you grumbling? Are you despairing? Have you lost your joy? Or, or are you trusting in God's promises and looking forward to the promised land? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying this is what gives you perseverance in the wilderness. It's what enables you to trust him. I have talked, I've talked with people who have been going through unimaginable, unimaginable circumstances who say things like ridiculous, foolish things to the rest of the world. Things like they, the really good thing that has come out of my suffering is that now I have a better hope for the future. <laughs> While they're in it. Now I have a better hope for the future. They say things, I look forward with great expectation to that day when all suffering will end, when all striving will, will be done, when all tears will be wiped away. It's become so real to me. It happened when they're going through the worst imaginable thing ever. Um, so... Uh, this morning we have some longtime friends of mine uh, here, the Stein family, sitting in the back row over there. And um, their oldest son, his name is, is Junior, um, except he's a, a giant, beastly monster now. And he's far bigger than his dad. We're going to have to call Dad Junior now, I think. And uh, Junior's on a football team, and, and he just just knocks people out. I mean, he's, he's just a beast. And on his... On his team, there's a young man named uh, Jason Lyon. Another cancer story. He's got cancer. It's on the stem. It's inoperable. I'm telling him it does not look, look good for him. And what I keep hearing about this kid from testimony from other people is about his testimony, about how amazing his testimony is, about how he's trusting God in this time. And even his mom is saying, this, my son is building up my faith in this, in this time. It's incredible. In fact, his, they wrote a, a story about the last, the last game. Um, all the kids on the jersey, it said, lion-hearted on the front. And uh, they came back from behind, and so it made the story. And the cool thing about it, it's not just that they came back and won the game, but his testimony got in there as well. It's amazing what God can do. <clears throat> Through incredibly difficult circumstances. See, Mara is meant to remind us that we haven't arrived yet. It's supposed to remind us that we have not arrived yet, but one day we will. We will enter the promised land. And so, my question for you this morning is, how will that hope change your life today? How will it change the way you live this week if you believe that? 
How will it change the way that you face the tests of life? I'm not saying it'll be easy. But when you have that hope, you won't be crushed by it. You'll be filled with faith and a peace that passes all understanding. I mean, this can change the way that you view your hard times, the way you view Mara. (laughs) This may sound insignificant, but God illustrated this for me by giving me a sister-in-law named Mara. The only thing I knew um, was that Mara meant bitterness. And it might be easy to think, oh man, what's my brother getting himself into, right? And then I met Mara. And she is one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet in your life. Isn't that right? Absolutely. (laughs) She redefined Amara for me. And in the same way, when you know the sweetness of living in God's promises, it will redefine Mara for you. For you and for your life. You won't dread it. Instead, your faith will grow, and as it grows, you dread it less and less. For those of you who are in Elam, I want you to know that Elam, even though it may not feel like it, it's important for us to say, even when you're in Elam, it's a time of testing. It is. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says that when you, uh, when you come into a time and place of blessing, be careful that you don't forget the Lord. Be careful that, that you don't say, look what my strength did. Look what my skill accomplished. I did it all on my own. I don't know what's wrong with all these other people. If they would just get their act together and live like me, they could be having good times like, like me. It's a dangerous, dangerous way to think. Elam is a, is a place of a different kind of testing. And, and God wants you to see that everything good, everything good in your life comes from him. He wants to, to heal our hearts from unbelief. He wants to also heal our hearts of pride. He wants us to humbly give him praise and thanks in those times we're in Elam. So when you're tested, remember God's purpose is to heal you. And finally, and most importantly, when you're tested, remember the one who passed the test. You know, there's there's something unusual going on here. I mean, When I saw it, it smacked me in the face in verse 26. It says, God is saying, if you trust me, I will not bring on any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. What diseases? He's referring to the plagues. He's talking about his judgment. He says, if you pass the test and trust me in the wilderness, I will not bring judgment upon you. And the implication is crystal clear. If you don't trust me, you'll get what the Egyptians got. Now, if you think about it, that's not so strange. I mean, if God is God, then he is worthy of all of our trust and all of our obedience, right? But here's what is strange. The people fail the test. But God doesn't judge them. What's he do? He blesses them. (laughs) They don't 
trust him at Mara. I mean, they're no different than the Egyptians. They're worthy recipients of God's judgment. But not only does he not judge them, he gives, he, he makes the bitter water sweet so that they can live. And then on top of that, he leads them into Elam, a taste of the promised land, a guarantee of the promised land. Why? I mean, how is that even possible? Well, we talked about it last week. How can they fail the test and be blessed and not judged? What in the world is going on? Something extremely significant. Who is the one Israelite in the story who passed the test at Mara? It was Moses. I mean, people are, are grumbling and complaining against Moses. Moses is being tested. Not only has he gone three days without water, but... But, but also, now, he has two million people blaming him. I mean, it's tough enough when one person blames you. Imagine two million people blaming you for, for their imminent death. How will Moses respond? Will he lash out at the, at the people? Will he, will he cave under the pressure? What's Moses do? Moses cries out to the Lord. Moses passes the test. Moses trusted the Lord. Moses obeyed the Lord. Moses should get the water. Moses should, should uh, get to go to Elam. But now here's what's, what's amazing in the story. God, God treats all of the people as if they had done what Moses did. They failed the test, but they're treated as if they passed the test just like Moses. Why? Remember what we said last week? Because Moses is their representative. Because Moses is their, their mediator. God, God treats the people as if they had done what Moses did. They failed the test and deserve God's judgment, but instead they get God's blessing. Life-saving water and Elam. Why? One simple reason. Their mediator, their representative, passed the test for them. Now, we get to this point, and it's critical that, that we see something very important here, that, that Moses is not the true mediator. Moses points us to the true mediator. He points us to the greater mediator, the, the greater representative he, he points us to the mediator who passed the ultimate test in the wilderness. He points us to Jesus. I mean, Matthew 4, we read, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And the devil brought three tests. And the final one is the ultimate test. The devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and says, I will give it all to you if you kneel down and worship me. So what's going on here? Jesus has come to save his, his people and make the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of Christ. But to do that, Jesus must die as our mediator as our representative. And here the devil is bringing the ultimate test. Jesus, you can have the kingdoms of this world without going to the cross. It can be all of yours without the horror of the cross. Just bow down and worship me. 
But Jesus says, get out of here. Get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus passes the ultimate test. He fully trusted and obeys, obeyed God's word in the wilderness. And because he did, he sealed his own death warrant. On the cross, the one who passed the test was treated as if he had failed. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he had committed all of our sin. On the cross, Jesus died so that by his stripes, we would be healed. He got what we deserved, God's judgment, so that we might get what he deserves, the promised land. So my question for you is, is how will this truth change your life this week? How will it change the way, whatever, how you approach and face whatever test it is um, that you're going through right now? I mean, if you believed this, the ultimate test for us becomes this. Will you trust Jesus as your representative, as your mediator, or will you try to pass the test on your own? Where does trying to pass the test on your own get you? It's just, it's more heartache and disappointment and feeling like you've been ripped off. Lack of joy, lack of peace. Will you trust Jesus as your mediator? The moment you do, a great transfer takes place. He takes your test score and you get his. His death covers all of your sin, and his perfect life becomes your perfect score. So the ultimate test that you face is, will you trust Jesus as your mediator? Will you try to, to pass, it on, pass the test on your own? Will you trust God's promises? Will you trust God's commands, even if you don't like them, even if you don't think they make any sense? We don't have the luxury of, of editing the Bible, which parts that we like and which parts that we don't like. Will you trust God completely? And if we do, we'll live for him. We'll want to glorify him with our lives. For those of you who are Christians, I mean, as you live in the wilderness, my encouragement to you is to remember where you are in the big picture. You have already crossed over. That means that God is not punishing you. He is testing you. His purpose is, is to heal the, the bitterness of unbelief and fill you with the sweetness of faith. And one day, you will enter the promised land. You can bank on it. It's a done deal. Why? Because your mediator, your representative, passed the test for you. Amen? you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you um, that you so graciously point out um, you graciously point out to us the areas where we are not trusting you. And this morning I pray that every single one of us here that the prayer of our hearts would be, show us other areas where I don't trust you. And by your Holy Spirit, I pray that, that um, you would bring those out in, into the light. Um, 
to deliver us from, from shame, to deliver us from, from guilt, to bring us to a place of, of repentance. Um, knowing that, it, that we don't, it doesn't just mean that, that we turn from bad works to good works, but we turn from all works and trust the work of Jesus. And then the fruit of that is living our faith out with good works that, that you assigned to us even before you created um, the heavens and the earth. God, I know that people are going through an incredibly difficult time right now. Um, I pray that you would comfort them and, and reassure them by your Holy Spirit through, through the community of, of grace as we point each other to our true mediator, to our true deliverer. God, I pray that you deliver us uh, for being a, a slave to our own bitterness of, of unbelief. Uh, give us the ability to stop justifying our, our bitterness as it sucks the, the joy and life out of us. God, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by anything in this time, that 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 you would enable us to examine our hearts before we participate in, in the Lord's Supper. Help us to realize that, that um, as we come forward for the Lord's Supper, we're trusting you completely. And God, I pray, Lord, if there is, if there is any area in our hearts and in our lives where we're not trusting you, where we're not trusting your promises, where we're not trusting your commands, areas where we are selective. I pray that you bring us to a place of, of repentance. Give us the ability to turn away um, from trusting ourselves or whatever it is that we think we need and to turn to you and trust you completely and respond in, in obedience, to respond in faith out of pure gratitude. God, if anybody has not put their faith in you this morning, I pray this morning you'd give them the ability, that you'd give them the courage, give them the desire um, to take that step of faith. That by your spirit, you would move them to, to turn to you as, as their deliverer, their mediator for your righteousness. We pray this in, in your name.